Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors, and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. Hello and welcome to Commodity Watch Radio. I'm Dominic Frisby and in today's programme we look at one of the big economic issues of the moment. An issue that seems to have been confounding just about everyone. Will it be inflation or deflation? There are some superb minds giving their 2p on the issue. Mark Farber, Bob Hoy, Miss Shedlock, James Turk, Michael Hampton. And I must say, as a result of hearing some of the issues argued through, I've changed my own point of view. Now, there was so much material that I've broken this programme into two shows, and I'll release part two later in the week. Part one will be a three-way interview with Mike Shedlock, James Turk and Mike Hampton, and then in part two we'll hear Mark Farber and Bob Hoy's views on the matter. We're closing in on our 100,000th listener, so those of you who have been tuning in, thank you so much for doing so. Many of you will know I'm a busy chap and I can't get these programmes up as regularly as I'd like. It would be better if I produced a show every other Saturday or with some consistent regularity, but it just isn't possible. So the best way to stay up to date is to subscribe to the show with iTunes or whoever. There's a button with which you can subscribe on the side of the screen and then you'll be notified as soon as a new programme gets uploaded. A reminder of our disclaimer, nothing you hear in this show is intended as investment advice. It's just an expression of opinion only. Let's crack on with the show. Commodity Watch Radio at Mindsight.com I'm talking now with three eminent gentlemen, a man you all know, the founder and chairman of Gold Money, James Turk. I'm also talking to Miss Shedlock, who is a registered investment advisor for Sitka Pacific Capital Management and the editor of Global Economic Analysis at blogspot.com. He's also a superb freelance photographer. And finally, Mike Hampton, a.k.a. Dr. Bub, Hong Kong-based private investor and founder of globaledgeinvestors.com. Now, gentlemen, before we get into the great inflation-deflation debate, I just wanted to ask you, James Turk, about the recent correction in gold. Uh, What did you make of it, James? Well, it looks like it's a central bank uh, takedown. Um, Everything was um, lined up, both in terms of intervention in the market as well as propaganda from central banks. You know, it's quite mysterious that uh, Trichet all of a sudden changed his uh, fight from fighting inflation to fighting uh, a slowing European economy. Uh, and that, along with uh, other um, factors, you know, triggered a dollar rally and a gold sell-off. I must admit, I'm surprised that gold took out 850 on the downside, because from a technical point of view, that represents 28 years of accumulation of the metal under that, uh, under that price. But what's happened, in fact, is as we took it down, we've seen a tremendous surge in physical demand. Uh, for gold. Uh, So it seems to me that there's a disconnect between the paper market and the physical market, and gold should bounce back up, uh, back above uh, 850, if not 900 in the near future. 
Um, I'm reading all sorts of reports about a shortage of uh, physical gold and silver in in small quantities, small coins and small bars. Are you experiencing any of this uh, physical shortage with gold money? Well, we deal only in LBMA bars, and you know that is the premier market uh, um, for gold in the world, both in London and in Zurich, which is where we operate. Uh, and there hasn't been any shortage of LBMA bars, but at these levels, uh, the central banks are going to end up emptying their vaults if they keep gold down here because the physical demand is surging. You know, August is normally a slow month for the precious metals dealers. Uh, we're having a record month, if you can imagine that, in August. And this is similar to everyone else who I've discussed in the business. Uh, dealer shelves are empty for uh, small coins, uh, or for small bars and coins. Very interesting. Thank you. Now, um, let's get into this great inflation-deflation debate. Now, before we do, let's just clarify what we mean. As I see it, and correct me, gentlemen, if I'm wrong, inflation means an increasing money supply leading to higher prices. Deflation means a shrinking money supply leading to falling prices. And stagflation basically means shrinking economic growth but higher prices. Um, we'll start with you, Mish. Broadly speaking, I understand you see deflation. Is that right? I see deflation coming, but I need to change the uh, definition slightly. Um, I look at it as money supply and credit, and right now it is credit that is uh, falling. And based on the credit shrinkage that I see happening at banks, and more importantly, credit mark-to-market that would be happening if if it was marked to market, but instead banks, brokerages are hiding in level three assets. The, the, the Citigroup still has $500 billion to a trillion dollars in off balance sheet assets that if was marked to market would be a tremendous um, loss in credit to uh, the banking system. So if one is, um, and then of, of course others look at inflation just from a purely price level. I, I think um, that standpoint has clearly been disproven and it's, it's just not a good starting point for discussing what inflation is. So um, by my definition of, incre- of uh, money supply and credit, I believe we're in deflation already um, by the definition of um, just from a purely monetary standpoint, there's not been a shrinkage yet. Uh, it uh, has approached 0% growth when one looks at base money supply, but we're not there yet. So it depends on how one wants to define it. And of course, one cannot have a, a reasonable discussion without that agreement as to what it is. But I say we're there. We're in deflation right now. It's happening. But that is on the basis of a credit aspect not on the basis of the Fed has uh, stopped running, because they haven't. Mike, what thoughts do you have on that? Well, I think that's quite a useful definition that Mish has just given. I'd like to introduce a word here, which maybe you don't hear enough in, uh, in the press and in reports, and that word is malinvestment. Because I think we've come off a decade or so, especially since 2000, uh, when interest rates went to a very low level, of huge malinvestment. Uh, that malinvestment was particularly focused on the U.S. suburbs, where trillions of dollars were spent building homes um, that are, really aren't needed. Many of them will wind up as firewood. And what, what I think is going on is 
that malinvestment is now being recognized by the market, partly because oil prices make clear that a lot of those suburban homes will never be needed or will never be useful to anybody. And as malinvestment prices get get reduced um, through the market, the Fed is and others are fighting that by trying to put money into the system, um, but it isn't going into the right places. There is definitely this... Uh this war going on uh, between the kind of deflationary um, process that the private sector is going through, the credit contraction, and at the same time, this uh, inflationary central bank policies. Um, What are your views on this, James? Yeah, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of wealth destruction, but wealth destruction per se is not deflation. Uh, Inflation and deflation are entirely monetary phenomenon. And the answer to the question in my mind is first, which currency are you talking about? You know, when you talk about gold, I think we're going to see deflation. In other words, one way of describing inflation and deflation is what the currency purchases. In a deflation, the currency purchases more. And gold, uh, gold's purchasing power will continue to rise as we go forward from here. So if you calculate prices in gold terms, you're going to see deflation. But if you calculate prices in dollar terms, you're going to see inflation, meaning the currency is going to be purchasing less and less. And uh, I understand Misha's point, and I think it's, it's, it's a good one. But we have to ask ourselves, will the central banks and the banking system actually reach the stage where they're going to contract the money supply? If you look at M3, which is, um, in my mind, the most important measure, and I use John Williams' um, measure of M3, uh, of shadowstats.com, we're still growing 15.4% year-on-year through the end of of July. That's highly inflationary. And if you analyze bank balance sheets themselves, you know, money supply is the bank liability, and then you have the bank assets. And as Mish points out, bank assets are contracting, they're becoming less valuable. But that's wealth destruction. And the question is, are those uh, black holes on bank balance sheets going to be replaced by anything? In the 1930s, they were not replaced by anything. We were on a gold standard and the banking system was forced to contract and that reduced M3. Today, there's no discipline on uh, money creation and those black holes are going to be filled by Federal Reserve printing. So what we're, what we're seeing in the early stages of my mind are, are actual hyperinflation because the federal government is essentially out of control in terms of what it is spending um, and what it intends to spend, not only on its outgoing, um, ongoing um, expenses such as entitlements, the, the various wars that it's fighting, but now you know, uh, taking uh, over all of the losses of Fannie Mae uh, and Freddie Mac and, and uh, the banking system as it implodes. So in that environment, that creates, in my mind, a highly inflationary, if not hyperinflationary outlook. In other words, the Federal Reserve are monetizing debt. Yes, and they're monetizing debt of the federal federal government. And if you look at uh, monetary history, every time you have an inflation, it's it's the exact same set of circumstances, whether it's Weimar, Germany in the 1920s or Zimbabwe today. You have federal government, uh, you have government spending that's out of control, uh, no discipline on the amount of money that the government can spend, and the central bank just printing uh, whatever currency is necessary. Now, again, our monetary system is different from Zimbabwe in the sense that Zimbabwe and Weimar Germany were basically uh, cash currency uh, monetary systems. Basically, all of the m- currency consisted of paper that moved from hand to hand. We're essentially a deposit currency system where all of the the money, uh, all of the currency moves from one bank account to another bank account rather than paper, uh, you know, hand to hand. So the 
hyperinflation we're going to experience in the United States, in my mind, will be the first deposit currency hyperinflation. Mish, what, what are your thoughts on, on, James, on James's last comments? Um, well, I don't think there's been a hyperinflation in history where housing prices have crashed, and they're continuing to crash. So something has to be wrong just from looking at the housing standpoint alone. Now, James did point out that, um, that asset price falling does not constitute deflation. That's correct. Uh, um, it's a necessary but not sufficient condition, if you would, in, in my mind. But um, as far as hyperinflation goes, um, perhaps we've already seen it. That's what we've seen when um, uh, this ridiculous amounts of, of credit were extended by banks on the premise that home prices always go up. This is not like Weimar Germany. This is more like the tulip bubble or John Law, Mississippi uh, 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 in France, where, where we had um, massive credit creation that was followed by deflation. I think that is what's happening here. This is the conditions here are more like 1929 than more than uh, anything that we saw in the 70s or 80s or Weimar Germany. Uh, the Weimar Germany was physical printing. Um, what we've seen here is not printing. We've seen here is um, uh, a massive extension of credit. And there's a big difference. Credit bubbles and in deflation. Uh, uh, monetary printing is more like what happened in Zimbabwe and more like what happened uh, in Weimar Germany. This, this uh, if I can add one more comment, this is why I like the malinvestment uh, uh, argument that, uh, uh, that was uh, presented uh, uh, just seconds ago. The, the, you know, that's what's happening. This, this debt has to be written off and it will be written off. And uh, yes, the Fed is going to print. James is absolutely right. I've never said otherwise. The Fed is going to print. The question is, are, are, are they going to print fast enough to counteract the, the, the credit that's on the books that's being wiped out? Now, again, using my definition of money supply and credit, I don't see that happening. It's possible that it does. I just don't see it. The same situation happened in Japan, by the way. Uh, 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 base money supply in Japan never really fell. But, but to, uh, so from someone looking at this just as a pure currency standpoint, it would, one would come to the conclusion that Japan never went into deflation. Well, is, is that a realistic position? I don't think it is. That's the reason why it's important to look at this from a credit standpoint as well. Because uh, by any at least in my mind, reasonable measure. Japan went through a period of deflation. And uh, using those same arguments, uh, I see the U.S. in that same period right now. The, the, the question is, how fast does the, the Fed monetize? And there's also a second point. Does that money go anywhere? Let's assume you know the Fed prints, gives it to the banks, and it just sits there without you know, ever the banks ever making any more loans or going into the, in, into the system. Meanwhile, the, the, their balance sheets are, are collapsing. Is, is that really inflationary? In a, in a fiat current, in a, in a fiat regime, if, if that credit never makes its way into the system, pushing up the price of assets and pushing up um, uh, uh, the, the prices of goods and services, 
This is essentially you know, what happened in, in Japan. The banks in Japan were zombified, and I see a state of zombification of banks in the U.S. as well. Now, the real threat in the United States is not the Fed. It's what ridiculous schemes that Congress might come up with to um, uh, try and push money into the system. That's where the, the threat for hyperinflation lies in the U.S., not with the Fed, but with Congress. Mike, That's a good um, point. If I, Dominic, if I could just add, I think Mish is bringing up a good point. I actually see both Congress and, and the Fed responsible. But uh, we have to remember bank balance sheets have essentially two principal assets. They have loans that they make to their customers, and they have government debt securities or government promises of one sort or another uh, on their balance sheet. And even if they stop making loans to their, to their customers, they're going to continue buying government debt. Uh, and that's really what, in my mind, is going to spark the hyperinflation. And I think they're inclined to do that because they see government debt as a low-cost, low-risk, excuse me, a low-risk alternative where they can fund cheaply and uh, earn a higher yield on government debt, sort of a, a surreptitious bank uh, bailout, just like occurred back in the early 1990s when uh, Greenspan was still head at the Federal Reserve. Yields, uh, borrowing costs were low and yields on government paper were high. So I think you're going to see a transformation in bank balance sheets over the next few years where government debt will become an increasingly bigger uh, component, or actually over the next few months, an increasingly bigger component on bank balance sheets. Just one other thing to keep in mind, banks have made a lot of um, credit extensions uh, to um, uh, companies uh, borrowing in the commercial paper market. And we've seen the commercial paper market uh, drop from $2.2 trillion to $1.7 trillion. Uh, over the past year or so. I think the commercial paper market is going to continue to drop, which means that those companies that are uh, no longer able to access the commercial paper market are con uh, going to draw down on backup uh, bank lines of credit, and that will continue to expand bank credit. That is why M3 is, is rising, actually. The, uh, um, the, the largest uh, reason for uh, growth in M3 has been corporations tapping um, uh, credit lines at banks. And what are they doing with that money? They're not using it to expand. They're not using it to grow their business. We have overcapacity ac across the board in literally everything uh, uh, except energy, uh, um, you know, uh, stores, pizza huts, Walmarts, Home Depots, housing. Across the board, we've got overcapacity. But corporations are, are just to make sure that those credit lines are still there and still available. That's what's been causing the rise in M3. I do not see that as either inflationary or hyperinflationary. They're, they're drawing on those credit lines. They're parking it in um, institutional money market funds. So you, you look at that and you say, oh, my God, you know, you know, look at this expansion in M3. It's important to not only just see that M3 is expanding. It's important to know why M3 is expanding, and that's why M3 is expanding. I don't see th that expansion of M3 as um, uh, either inflationary or hyperinflationary at all. It's, it's, it's actually, look at it, it's a flight to cash is what it is. <laughs> Corporations are borrowing, parking the money in, in, in money market mutual funds at a loss from what they had to borrow that from banks just to make sure that they have that cash on hand. Hyperinflationary, inflationary? Nope, disagree. As long as velocity doesn't decline, uh, that money is going to have a, an inflationary impact uh, because regardless of how it's parked, 
by a corporation, that money is not going to be parked by somebody. It's going to be used and it's going to go back into the system as a form of currency. And it's ultimately this currency that creates the hyperinflationary environment. I wonder if I can jump in here. Uh, what I'd like to say is really look at three different points in time. I'd like to look at, at, at 2001 after 9-11 um, as Greenspan pushed interest rates down to 1%. And what was happening then was the banks found an easy place to put that money to work. They had cheap money. Uh, they could lend it out. They were, they were you know, paying maybe 1% or so for their money, and they were lending it out at much higher rates, 3 4 5% into the housing market and earning a nice spread on that. And the, and the investment banks were going wild securitizing this stuff making easy money all the way around. Now, that was one point in time that created this malinvestment problem. The second point in time is now, and the third point in time I'm going to come to in a minute is the future. In the second point in time, even though money's pretty cheap right now, there's no safe place to put it. You can't go out and lend against housing. Housing prices are falling, so unless you're lending a very modest amount, like 50 60%, you know, it may not be safe. You can't easily securitize property debt anymore. So there's a big dilemma, and that's why this money, this cheap money winds up showing up in, you know, like Mish was saying, in, in you know, basically corporate balance sheets as cash. Um, now, the third point in time is maybe a point we're headed to eventually uh, when, when banks can lend again and make money at it. And what that's going to require is a focus on, you know, areas of lending which are not malinvestment, areas that really make sense. And, you know, one of the dilemmas now is people don't really have a good understanding of where those areas are. I mean, I have a few ideas of my own. I can't prove anything. But I think we have to move towards a world where the suburban malinvestment is something of the past. And, you know, America is investing for the future. And that's a whole different living arrangement than we have today. Oh, absolutely, and and one of the areas is that one can look at is uh, infrastructure in the United States, and I would hazard a guess without knowing that the same situation holds true in, say, the UK and and uh, parts of Europe. Uh, looking at their situations, the um, but the di the big difference between that, yes, um, I sense a lot of government makeshift work projects coming up probably to, to repair bridges, to repair roads, to, to, in an attempt to put people back to work. Um, the, all of that's going to happen. And while that's increasing government liabilities, it's also, unlike dropping a bomb in, in, in Iraq where we get negative benefit out of it, it's actually adding something to, to the asset side of the balance sheet. Now, uh, uh, in a, whether or not that would be the right place in a, in a free market construct, it, it's probably not. And it's probably going to be a lot of graft associated with it, but at least there's going to be some semblance of the asset side uh, um, built up in this monetization of debt that we're going to see coming from, from, from the federal government. So it's not going to be a pure waste as it was with um, this housing bubble that we've seen. So that is another aspect of, of the uh, hyperinflationary inflationary argument that one needs to consider is exactly what was just said, is where that money goes. And uh, was it used to uh, uh, build assets, or was it just complete malinvestment? I, I, if we go towards building the asset side of the balance sheet, it, it's, 
it's that's also not a hyperinflationary kind of thing unless of course it gets to uh, uh, an extreme position again one does not know what the next congress is going to do that's why you're hearing this hedge from me but right now as as long as the write-offs in debt and as long as uh, this credit bubble continues we're going to be in this deflationary period Japan was in it for a long period of time I think uh, I think the U.S. is going to be in it for at least a period of time here now. Uh, uh, but um, I think we're all in agreement here. Down the road, sometime, there's going to be a big problem on the inflation side. It's down the road. It, it was, to me, a question of, of which happened first. And by my definition, I believe I'm right that we're in this period of deflation now, and we're, uh, the debate is how long this thing lasts and where we go to from here not whether or not it was hyperinflation or deflation first. I, I think we're in this period of, of debt write-off, deflation, and, and how long does it last and how nutty does this next Congress get. Mish, I wonder if I can ask you a question. When, when James began, he, he said uh, if you measure prices in dollars, uh, he expects to see rising prices, and if he measures prices in gold, he expects to see falling prices, deflation. How do you see gold performing uh, in your deflationary scenario? Um, I, uh, my scenario had gold falling in the initial stages of uh, deflation, which I think we're in. And the reason why I saw that is, is I just thought leverage across the board in everything was, was going to be reduced. We had um, speculators um, over-leveraged in um, all kinds of assets. I, I think there was speculation in commodities. Uh, I view gold as a currency, by the way, not as a commodity. Uh, it, it actually has very, very little commodity use. Um, gold's role throughout history as, is, is money. Uh, to me, gold is money. So uh, I, I don't have any problem um, with, with those kinds of statements, although people argue with me uh, all, all the time about that. So, but, um, so the expected behavior here is, is what I would have ex- thought. Now, as, as deflation kicks in uh, a little bit more severely, which I think it will, uh, uh, this credit crunch is only maybe a third of the way through. Uh, gold's value as money is, I believe, is going to soar. But soar from what point? And it's the same thing. You know, people ask me, well, you know, how far, uh, when gold is a thousand, how far do you think it's going to drop? And I said, well, gold's going to drop. I just don't know from what level. Well, we know the level now. It, it dropped from, from a thousand, which is what I suspected. But no one really knows these things. But um, I want to touch on one more point, if, if I can, and it, it's about the, the shortage of, of coins and, and gold in smaller quantities. I look at that as possibly a um, big contrary indicator here in the short term for gold. What we're seeing is, is the retail speculator, the, the retail investor, you know, having been burnt in the stock market in, in 2000, Having been burnt in housing in 2007 and 8, now looking at something that's been going up and, and is in tune finally, say, so, oh my God, you know, maybe I should maybe I should be in gold. And this demand f- for smaller uh, levels of of gold and silver, maybe I'm not saying is be. I I think is at least in the short term some sort of contrary indicator here 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 for gold. 
gold has risen from $250 to, you know, 900 and now the little guy is is interested in in buying some gold coins and holding on. I don't know if that's a good sign. In, I, I take your point, Mish, but in defence of the uh, the little speculator, and I'm sure James is going to have something to say about this, uh, I believe that this sudden rush for small quantities of gold and silver almost coincided with the with the sell-off. In other words, people saw that it was cheap and rushed to buy it. I, I, um, James, do, oh, do absolutely. You... But didn't we see the same thing? The little investors finally rushing into the stock market in. In, in 2000, buying JDSU on the first 30% dip, you know, wanting to, wanting to get in, you know, it's, oh, I can finally get in now. Um, but long term, I think we're all in agreement here. Gold can go up. So, you know, uh, and also if one looks at a monthly trend line, yeah, gold broke its um, uh, weekly support and daily support that James Turk talked about. If one actually looks at a monthly chart, gold started to rally off of that monthly uh, uh, trend line. So, so from, from that aspect, the gold bull is still alive. James, do you have any thoughts to add? Yeah, on the um, uh, buying and the shortages of um, you know, uh, small bars and coins, it's not just um, uh, the U.S. This is a global phenomenon. And uh, it's also not just small investors, but institutional investors as well. Uh, I mean, there's a huge demand for physical metal of all sorts. And I'm anxious to see what the LBMA statistics are going to look like when they come out for this month um, in a few weeks' time. Uh, but my guess is you're going to see a tremendous offtake of physical metal of LBMA stuff as well. So I, I don't really see this as a contrary indicator. I understand Misha's point and where he's coming from on this. Um, but, you know, the circumstances are such that, you know, gold is, uh, is different. You know, you have two markets. You have a paper market and you have a physical market. And at the end of the day, while the physical market is much smaller in size than the paper market, uh, the physical market does really drive paper finally. You know, it, it's an example of where the tail does, in fact, wag the dog, the dog being the paper market much bigger than the physical market. And when the two markets go out of sync with one another, you see these tremendous surges in physical, and that means to me that the paper market has to adjust to that reality, or gold has to come out of central bank vaults. Um, I think central banks are not going to stand by here and defend gold at these low levels, and we're probably going to uh, make a V bottom and go back up as, as rapidly as we fell. So my expectation is we're going to see gold over $900 an ounce in September. Mike, do you have any final thoughts to add to this? Mike Hampton. Yeah, I do. I'd like to say something about that second point in time I mentioned before that I think we're in where, uh, you know, money's cheap, but banks don't know where to put it. Um, the problem is that house prices are still falling and there's a big, big danger here. And I think this danger may be coming true. And that is that the authorities, uh, monetary authorities and the treasury look, look for ways of propping up house prices. Um, sort of artificially. I mean, I think they need to fall another 20% or something. But if they try to prop them up without allowing that 20% drop, the only way to do it is if they just pump money into the system, it's going to go into the gold and, and you know commodities plays. Um, they may try and operate directly in the housing market by effectively monetizing uh, property. Um, and that's a big danger. And we're sort of seeing something in that direction with Fannie and Freddie, which are two key bellwethers in this whole process, if the Fed um, props these two up and thereby maintains, helps to maintain the value of the mortgage market, 
that is a sort of indirect way of trying to prop up house prices. The more that happens and the more money that gets sort of wasted in, the, you know, in that effort, the more likely is it will undermine confidence in, you know, in American dollar and in America. And as that happens, I think gold prices may soar. So I see this dangerous period being sort of right now and what's going to be the next move to, to sort of help the housing market. The more reckless they get, the more the dollar will drop and the more gold will go up. And the more inflationary it is. Indeed. Um, now, that's an expression we hear very often. The Fed will inject liquidity. The Fed will pump money into the system. Um, how do they actually do that? Would either Mish or James like to take that one up? Yeah, uh, they do it a number of different ways. I mean, what we've seen the Federal Reserve doing is taking assets off of bank balance sheets that are illiquid and probably questionable of value and give uh, 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 in exchange for you know, dollars that, uh, uh, that they're creating. You, the, it's purely a bookkeeping entry. You have a, uh, an asset created as a loan, and you have a liability uh, resulting uh, at the same time. That liability is the currency being created. It's either paper currency that the Fed prints up in t- form of notes, or it's deposit currency that the Fed does bookkeeping entries for. Uh, so it's 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 a, a purely bookkeeping um, um, uh, fantasy uh, as to how this money is created. That's why they say money is created out of thin air. You make a loan and you have m- money as a result. Um, gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure talking to the three of you. Um, Mish, I haven't asked you, do you have any final thoughts to add to all of this? Oh, I think it's been a, a great discussion. It's, it's a pleasure to be here um, with, with uh, Mike and James, and uh, maybe we can do this again. Uh, uh, I think we've all kind of pretty much stated our views, and and again, right now, where one sees whether or not we're in deflation or not depends on what one's definition is. And uh, I I think you know using our own definitions, I think I'm the only one with a slightly different definition. It is you know we can all you know make our claim that you know we're all right here. So um, it's it's important to keep you know those constructs in mind. But um, there's no question that we are in an asset deflation period here right now. And uh, I don't believe that the government can possibly prop it up any more than the government could prop up the, the share price of Fannie Mae. They tried to trigger that with a short squeeze. It, it, it did not work. Fannie and Freddie are both under $5 a share now. It's clear that the equity uh, shareholders were going to be wiped out. We're going to see equity shareholders wiped out in Lehman. We're going to see equity shareholders wiped out in Washington Mutual. We're going to see um, um, possibly two, three hundred banks go go bankrupt. And uh, when that process is happening, I don't see anything inflationary about it. The fear, the threat, again, is from Congress, and I think everyone's acknowledged that is how nutty Congress gets. And for that, I guess we just have to wait and see. And by that you're saying if Congress and the Federal Reserve's reaction to these banks going bust is to prop them up at any price, the consequence will be inflation? At any price, yes. At any, that's the key, is, is how much you know, um, money they pour into the system in an attempt to do this. But remember, Japan kind of went through the same scenario and um, it didn't work. I suspect that we're going to see that here in the United States as well. But we need to see what the next Congress does. And um, James, do you have any final thoughts? 
Yeah, the only thing I would do, uh, say is I'd just emphasize this one point that, you know, asset destruction or wealth destruction is, is not, you know, deflationary per se. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of wealth uh, destruction, as Michael pointed out, the collapse in housing prices. Um, and we're trying to, you know, determine value with the currency, the dollar, that is being forever inflated. Uh, you know, even as housing prices collapse, there are commodity prices going up, energy prices going up, and we're trying to, you know, figure out, you know, whether things are overvalued or undervalued. But uh, in my mind, we're having wealth destruction, and we're trying to calculate that wealth destruction with a currency that's being ever inflated. And as I see it, we're on the road to hyperinflation, and I think we're very close to reaching that stage. Okay, I'm going to ask you each, uh, you're each allowed to buy one asset at the moment. Uh, what would it be? James, I think I know your answer. Yeah, uh, you know, clearly it would be precious metals, uh, probably silver in preference to gold, just given the fact that silver got beaten down even more so than gold did. Mike Hampton? Half gold and half Chinese rum and B. <laughs> and Mish? <laughs> well, it depends on our time frame here. If um, if this destruction of credit plays out uh, like I think it will, in the shorter term, believe it or not, I would say U.S. Treasuries. In the shorter term. In the long run, however, uh, if we need to look at the long run, uh, uh, it's, it's got to be gold. I, I, don't, I don't know what else it would be. So um, uh, one needs to look at time frames. I mean, just look, for instance, as uh, if we had asked this question uh, 20 years ago in the 1980s, when gold was was at 800, well, gold is not always a buy and hold, and um, uh, maybe it's getting to that point again, or maybe it was at that point in uh, uh, 2000 when it hit uh, uh, 250. But uh, right now, um, right now, I don't know. And um, right now, as long as this deflationary scenario plays out like I expect it to in a credit bust, I think lower yields in U.S. Treasuries are coming down, uh, coming up the pike. So an investment in long-term U.S. Treasuries, as ridiculous as that might sound in the long term, and it is ridiculous in the long term, uh, uh, I think in the shorter term um, there is a reasonable chance that U.S. Treasuries are the only asset class in the U.S. that goes up. Well, gentlemen, thanks very much. Um, do you want to give out your websites? Um, uh, uh, um, why don't we start with you, James? What's your website? Yes, it's... Um goldmoney.com and um, listeners can get in touch with me by emailing at jamesturk at goldmoney.com and mish uh, global economic analysis.blogspot.com and that is a mouthful so the easy way to find me is to just do a google search for mish m-i-s-h i will pop right up on the screen if you do that good stuff and mike globaledgeinvestors.com and i will start a thread on this conversation where uh People are welcome to come and comment. Gentlemen, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Have a nice day. Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee for Mindsight with music by Manolo Cam. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our bulletin board at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com.